when choosing uh, this topic for Father's Day, um, I was motivated to find something that I ended up with a perspective of our Heavenly Father, not focusing on fathers here on earth, but, but uh, an account that will show uh, our Heavenly Father's love for us, uh, much just like the first song that John selected was perfect. And that's the account of Abraham when he offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Now, we'll get uh, right to the reading, but uh, I know some of you guys have... Uh, the Zondervan New American Standard Study Bible. Me, I know you got it, John. Or Joe, Joe Cassidy. And in the back of it, there's a little blurb, a little advertisement. I think if you pick it up in the Christian bookstore and want to, maybe they'll tempt you into buying it. It's a dramatic reading. It says, A flinty blade poised over a young man's heart, a heavenly command preventing the knife's deadly descent. The drama of Abraham and Isaac is one of the Bible's best love stories. But what is its relevance for you? How do you apply this ancient biblical account to your life today? And of course, the Zondervan Study Bible will help you do that. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't call it one of my favorite Bible stories because the story has always horrified me a little bit in the way that the thing that God asked Abraham to do but it's but it is indicate it's indicative as we'll see of of God's love for us. Let's go right to the text and and then we'll uh, discuss it afterwards. I will say that um, as we're reading it, think about two things. Think about the the reasons why God would have had Abraham do this uh, for Abraham's sake in Abraham's time, and also that this story is a picture prophecy, if you will, of. Christ's redemptive work on the cross for us. Think of those two things. And let's uh, read in Genesis chapter 22. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey and I, will, and, I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took it in his hand, the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. That. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood, and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him, for now I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked. 
And behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it will be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham was, has been called a father of faith. And that means that after the flood, the world quickly went back to idolatry. And God approached, if you look in your Bible, there's just not that much space between the flood and between God um, approaching Abraham. Asking Abraham to leave his home, which was in modern-day Iraq on the Euphrates River, go to, over to Canaan with the intent of starting uh, a new nation, a nation that would, that would fear and honor the Lord. And God revealed this to Abraham little by little, and, and, and Abraham listened, and Abraham obeyed. He was characterized by faith. Uh, he had a few hiccups. I'm not going to go into all of every little detail. I'm trying to skip the, to the important points, but there was a point at which uh, Abraham and, and Sarah didn't trust God because they were old, and they didn't have a son, which was necessary for the promise of this new nation. The promises were made in Genesis chapter 17 and 18. So Sarah took it upon herself to, to uh, make uh, arrangements for her, her, her servant uh, to be with Abraham, and, and, they con- and she conceived and gave birth to Ishmael. But God was unequivocal in that he didn't want the birth of this nation to be um, of to be started with the help of man or, or by man. He wanted it to be clear that this was um, started, that this was started by his doing alone. And so that's why Ishmael was not what God had intended. So therefore Isaac was born later by God's, by God's hand um, in Sarah's old age. This final test... Uh, to me, as I read it, is, is Abraham's greatest test. Because here's the vehicle, Isaac, for the new nation, uh, the nation that God's promised. And suddenly, God asks Abraham the unthinkable, and that is to sacrifice Isaac. Now, I can't imagine what, as a father, I can't imagine how that must have felt. I can't imagine, I can think of lots of reasons why uh, I wouldn't obey, or I can think of lots of reasons why Abraham wouldn't obey. You know, God had just made me this promise. God had just said what was going to happen. How can, he, how can he snatch away, it would seem, the promise that he's just made? Uh, Abraham, throughout this whole story, was true and faithful. He did not waver one bit in doing what God asked him to do. It reminded me of, of the response of Job when he was afflicted in the first chapter of Job. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. Without, without God's uh, supernatural intervention, there would be no Isaac. And maybe that helped Abraham to, to understand that the person that gave Isaac has the authority to ask to take him away. You know, I also wonder about, um, about God's thinking in regard to Isaac potentially becoming an object of idolatry for, for Abraham. In other words, if you've ever seen a family where they treat their children as idols, you know, today, where they, um, they spoil them, they make them the center of their universe and of their family. And so they do things that they, that they ought not do. They might, um, they might treat them in a way that alters even their relationship with God. And I can see where that would be tempting for, for Abraham to do with Isaac. And so God orchestrated this to make sure that the lines of relationship were clear and the priorities were clear. You can see this um, with Jesus. Uh, in, in Luke 8, for example, uh, his mother and brothers came to him. I'm just, I'll read from, from verse 19. His mother and brothers came to him, and they were unable to get, him because, get to him because of the crowd. It was reported to him, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Abraham had the right relationship with God, and he preserved that even through this tremendous trial. He had, he had the faith that uh, is mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Fame chapter, if you will, of faith. Started in verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Abraham did not know when he started out that God would provide an alternative to Isaac. Even up until the very last, he assumed that God would be able to keep his promise of of his covenant and the promise of a new nation, even if God had to raise Isaac from the dead. This is a tremendous example for us. Um, we don't have any excuse to not obey God if we can see what Abraham did. You know, for any children of you, who, uh, any children out there are listening, if mommy and daddy say something, there's no excuse for not obeying because, because we have your best interest in mind. God had Abraham and Isaac's best interest in mind. Um, there's just nothing greater that I can think of there's no greater example of human faithfulness apart from Jesus Christ himself that, that is an example of obedience. Now, in and of itself, with all that great thing said, even in and of itself, to me, this whole thing sounds a bit sadistic if it wouldn't be for a greater purpose, the great purpose of this, of this account. I keep wanting to say story, by the way, if that slips out. You know, story sounds so fanciful, and this is real, and this is true, so forgive me. Story, this, it's a true story. Um, <clears throat> but the, the offering of, of Isaac by Abraham is the best uh, picture prophecy, if you will, of the Old Testament of Christ's redemptive work on the cross. Um, I'd like to just tick down a few uh, remarkable 
similarities uh, between the two uh, happenings, separated by 2,000 years. Um, Isaac's birth was a miracle, just as Jesus' own birth was a miracle. Of course, the, not, not equivocating the two, but they are both, without God, they would not have happened. Uh, Mount Moriah, the place where this occurred, is the very place, um, 2,000 years later, where Jesus Christ was crucified. Isaac carried the firewood for his own sacrifice. Jesus Christ carried a cross of wood toward his crucifixion. Isaac was dead for three days in the mind of Abraham as they journeyed. Jesus Christ was dead three days before rising from the dead, in the, from the tomb, rising from the tomb. Now, that's kind of a stretch to me, but people have mentioned it. I'm, I'm passing it along. Um, <clears throat> The ram. Now we shift a little bit. Now we shift a little bit. Okay, now we've been focused on Isaac. Um, what about the substitution? Uh, the ram caught in the thicket. That's, that is Jesus being a substitute for us, dying for our sins when, when we're responsible for our own sins. Christ died for us instead. We don't have to pay that cost. Just as the ram was there, provided by God um, for Abraham in place of his son Isaac. I love the words uh, in verse 8 when Abraham says, answering his son's question, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. Jesus Christ is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So separated by 2,000 years is this wonderful um, picture picture of what, of what was to come. I'd like to read a little bit from my old time Halley's Bible Handbook Commentary. Uh, About chapter 22, uh, he says, The offering of Isaac was a picture prophecy of the death of Christ, a father offering his son, the son dead for three days, a substitution, an actual sacrifice, and it was on Mount Moriah, the very place where, 2,000 years later, God's own son was offered. Now, this is the best part, this, this this next sentence. Thus, it was a shadow in the birth of the Hebrew nation, of the grand event the nation was born to bring about. The whole purpose for a chosen uh, people and, a, and the Hebrew nation was for a place for, for the Messiah to come out of. It was a place, it was where Christ would come from. And so in the very early initiation stages of this nation, here's an event that foreshadows or prototypes the very end result of, of the creation of that nation, Jesus Christ. To me, I just love how the, the Bible authenticates itself and that if you're paying attention looking, you can see how God and His authorship and in his, as an architect has, has made these things dovetail together. Uh, you cannot make this, these things up. These things are true beyond a shadow of a doubt. Um, that gives me uh, confidence and it, it bolters my own faith. I'd like to switch a little bit, and this is kind of where, to the Father's Day point of view, um, and, and the reason that, that I thought about this passage when I thought about Father's Day. And that's this. If you think that, if you think that this story is cruel 
an unusual punishment for Abraham. And yet, because it's a picture of what God and His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, did, God spared Abraham and Isaac from it, ultimately. But he did not spare his own, but God did not spare his only son, and he did carry it out for us. And so this story, while on the surface it could appear cruel, in reality it's an ultimate picture of love, of what of the the means and the and the, the distance to which God is willing to to go to save us, to adopt us and to pay the cost to adopt us into his family. And I'm going to try to illustrate that with a, with a story. If you're a history buff or you like history, and I do too, uh, I'm going to issue a caveat that this is one of those stories that sounds a little too good to be true. But it makes a good point, and so I'm going to use it anyway. Okay, it's about Napoleon. Uh, and if you've heard this story, you know, I apologize. I, I thought it was good. Uh, during Napoleon's invasion of Russia, his troops were battling in the middle of yet another small town in that w- endless wintry land when he was accidentally separated from his men. A group of Russian Cossacks spotted him and began chasing him through the twisting streets. Napoleon ran for his life and ducked into a little furrier shop, furrier being a, a trader of furs, uh, a furrier shop in a side alley. As Napoleon entered the shop gasping for breath, he saw the furrier and cried, Where can I hide? The furrier said, quick, under this big pile of furs in the corner. And he, covered up, and he covered Napoleon up with many furs. No sooner had he finished than the Russian Cossacks burst, into the, burst in the door. Despite the furrier's protest, they tore his shop apart trying to find Napoleon. They poked into the pile of furs with their swords, but they didn't find him. After a while, they gave up and left. After some time, Napoleon crept out from under the furs unharmed, just as Napoleon's personal guards came in the door. The furrier turned to Napoleon and said timidly, Excuse me for asking this question of such a great man, but what was it like to be under all those furs, knowing that the next moment would surely be your last? Napoleon drew himself up to his full height, five foot two or something. (laughs) Napoleon drew drew himself up to his full height and said to the furrier indignantly, How could you ask such a question of me, the Emperor Napoleon? Guards, take this imprudent man out, blindfold him, and execute him. I myself will personally give the command to fire. The guards grabbed the poor furrier, dragged him outside, stood him up against a wall, and blindfolded him. The furrier could see nothing, but he could hear the movements of the guards as they slowly shuffled into a line and prepared their muskets, and he could hear the soft, ruffling sound of his clothing on the cold wind. He could feel the wind chilling his cheeks and the uncontrollable trembling in his legs. Then he heard Napoleon clear his throat, Call out slowly, ready, aim. In that moment, knowing that even these few sensations were about to be taken from him forever, a feeling that couldn't describe welled up in him as tears poured down his cheeks. After a long period of silence, the furrier heard footsteps approaching him, and the blindfold was stripped from his eyes. Still partially blinded by the sudden sunlight, he saw Napoleon's eyes looking deeply and intently into his own. Then Napoleon said softly, Now you know. He knows now how Napoleon felt underneath the pile of beaver, beaver pelts with swords being stuck all around him. He, he didn't really think before he asked the question, did he? He just thought Napoleon would say something. But instead, Napoleon orchestrated a cruel way to teach him 
really what it felt like. I mean, the poor guy could have had a heart attack. But, but, he, but now, more than ever, he truly knows what Napoleon really did feel like. In the same way, I feel like the, the effect of, of the story of Abraham and Isaac has on me is that it's shock therapy to realize that God loves us so much that he would, he would not spare his son. You know, throughout the story, Abraham, he talks about Abraham talking about his son, his only son. It's always his only son. It's never just his son, Isaac. It's his only son that he loves. The depth, to, the depth that God went to save us and the cost that he paid, to me, is the true value and, il- in, and illustration of this story. Because the horror that I feel when I think about leading, you know, if I applied to myself, it's almost unbelievable. And while it's dangerous to try to transpose my emotions onto the God of the universe, and I wouldn't even say that I'm necessarily doing that, but I can't believe that it was pleasant for God and for His Son to go through what they did. Uh, In Isaiah, it says that, in, in chapter 53, it says that, the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he would see his offspring, he would prolong his days, and the good, me- and the good pleasure of the Lord would prosper in his hand. Architect God was pleased in that it enabled us to, to, join, to rejoin him after our rebellion. It paid the cost for our sins. But Christ himself wondered if there was another way. And this whole process was diff- had to have been difficult for, for God and for His Son. And so I think if we would simply take that seriously, that we're not bought cheaply, that we're bought with a cost, a precious cost, and that that alone would, would cause us to think more about it, and hopefully it would deepen our own faith, and it would, it would um, help us to appreciate God more. Lord, thank you for what you've done. You are great. You're greatly to be praised. Your ways are beyond our way of thinking. And we trust that you know what you're doing. Just as Abraham trusted in you all the way. And and you fulfilled your promise just as you said you would. Lord, when we don't understand what you're doing, help us to be obedient just as Abraham was. Thank you for being the ultimate father. We've heard the accounts of, of these women and, and, how, and their testimony about the fathers in their lives. You are our heavenly father, and you love us more than any human father ever could. And you paid the ultimate cost to prove it. Thank you. Thank you. In your son's name, amen.